Aphrodite, a humorous Regency novel. Chapter 1 Baroness Hartwood, a widow of two years' standing, looked across at the gentleman seated beside her on the settee in her drawing room and asked, Albert, you have given your nephew a hint not to stare at April, have you not? I've had no opportunity to do so as yet, replied the Right Honourable, the Viscount Paisley, a genial man on the shady side of fifty and with a decided trend towards corpulence. Hugh wouldn't do so in any case. He's never been one to be enslaved by a pretty face. Quite the opposite, actually. Lady Hartwood's large blue eyes regarded him with a good deal of uncertainty. No doubt you know best, dearest, only it would be unfortunate if you were to do so. You know how April dislikes to be stared at, and not for the world would I want to see my daughter give a relative of yours a sharp set-down, as I fear she is entirely capable of doing, she admitted, wringing her hands. Lord Paisley, who considered himself fortunate to have secured her ladyship's acceptance to enter the married state a second time, took hold of her dainty fingers in a comforting grip. Don't let it worry you, my love. I'd like to see April, or anyone else for that matter, give Hugh a set down. The shoe is firmly on the other foot. Lady Hartwood looked a little daunted by this not entirely favourable description of Mr Hugh Royce. From all she had previously heard of him, he was a well-liked man of good character and with an outlandish fortune to his name. Is he not an amiable person? she asked. Oh, he's perfectly amiable when it suits him, but is not one to suffer fools or sycophants gladly. And why should he? He's had enough to try his patience these last few years. Ever since he inherited from his miser of a father, everyone remotely related to him has been coming out of the woodwork to claim kinship and milk his generosity. Oh dear, that would try one's amiability, to be sure, said Lady Hartwood. Not to mention all the matchmaking mothers who make a beeline for him whenever he strays into their vicinity, continued his lordship. I'm half inclined to think he only offered for the starling girl to take himself off the marriage market. That's certainly the only explanation I can think of as to why he's decided to leg-shackle himself to such a straight-laced prude. Had she been born a man, she'd have made an excellent vicar. All propriety and sobriety. There is still time for them to realise their mistake said Lady Hartwood with her customary optimism. It is clear they are sadly ill-matched. Not that I know the circumstances personally, of course, she hastened to add. I have simply gathered as much from all you have said on the matter. Well, it's true, he sighed. I can't say I like to see Hugh throwing himself away on her, but it's none of my business. At least you won't inflict any dramatics on him the way my sister used to on his father. Not wishing to speak ill of the dead, but there's no denying Georgina was a terrible wife and mother. Not much of a sister either, if I'm being honest. I'm sorry to hear that, dearest, said Lady Hartwood, giving his hand a squeeze. Oh, I didn't mind overly much. I was never close to either of my sisters. But Hugh, well, I wish I could have done more for the boy. He wasn't raised in a happy household. Shaking off his brooding expression, he smiled and said philosophically, I suppose one can't blame him for preferring an insipid wife to one overflowing with sensibility and loose morals. Having her own particular interest in this subject, Lady Hartwood asked, Are you certain there's no love between him and Miss Starling? One wouldn't wish them to suffer if their engagement should, for some reason, come to an end. 
Well, Hugh keeps his cards close to his chest, but to my mind, a man in love doesn't treat his fiancée with the type of cordiality he reserves for his relations. Lady Hartwood digested this information with satisfaction. In any case, dearest, she remarked after a few moments, we must do all we can to make a good impression on Mr. Royce this evening. Correctly interpreting this gentle reminder, his lordship said reassuringly, I'll arrive early tonight, my love, and the moment Hugh enters the house, I'll drop a word in his ear not to stare at April. Lady Hartwood smiled. It was a lovely, warm smile that infused her whole complexion and gave her the appearance of a woman much younger than her true age of seven and forty. She had never been a beauty of the first order, but her sweet countenance, girlish figure and impeccable sense of style had always commanded a high degree of admiration. She had married young and had quickly produced a daughter, her only child, some 28 years ago, and for a good number of those years had become used to people mistaking her for her daughter's sister. This compliment was always graciously accepted by her. She might not be an overly vain woman, but she did possess a healthy degree of pride in her appearance, and, together with her lady's maid, worked tirelessly to always appear at her best. As Lord Paisley held her hand and looked adoringly into her eyes, she felt herself to be the most fortunate of women to have secured the affections of a man who was so obliging as to always hold her comfort as his chief concern, a felicity she had not experienced in her first marriage. Thank you, dearest, she said. I don't know why I should be so nervous about meeting your nephew, but so it is. I suppose I don't wish him to find anything to censure in myself or April. Hugh's in no position to judge you, said Lord Paisley firmly, and I'd think it a great impertinence if he did so. But I'm certain the thought would never even enter his head. He might be of the highest ton, but he isn't top-lofty. He paused briefly before continuing... That said, you may as well know, my love, he's not one to recommend himself to the ladies. Doesn't have the address for it. Never did. But although he looks boorish and may act it on occasion, he's a capital fellow when one gets to know him. A little unsettled by this confidence, Lady Hartwood professed that she was thankful he would be at her side to welcome his nephew that evening. However, despite Lord Paisley's best intentions, she was not to have this comfort. Mr. Royce was shown into her drawing room and announced by her aged butler one hour earlier than he was expected. As the visitor stood on the threshold and took in the startled expression of the youthful-looking lady who inhabited the room, he realised there had been some mistake. "'Forgive me for intruding,' he said with a bow. "'I believe your mother is expecting me.' Lady Hartwood could only blink in astonishment at the uncommonly large male who filled her doorway. Hugh cast an inquiry at the butler, but the old man simply shrugged and, eager to be off to rest his aching joints, retreated from the room and closed the door behind him. "'Oh, my!' her ladyship exclaimed softly and let out a nervous laugh. She put aside the novel she had been enjoying while waiting for her betrothed and rose to her feet. "'Welcome, Mr. Royce. Please, um, do come in. I, I apologise if I appear a little surprised.' Only, you see, your uncle informed me that you could come no earlier than eight o'clock, owing to a, a previous engagement. Hugh's harsh features relaxed into a smile. I did have a prior engagement, but I told him I would make certain to leave early and join you all at seven. It appears he did not absorb the information. I dare say he did not, she laughed, more naturally this time. 
I have come to realise Albert does not care overly much for details. Please accept my apologies. You must be wishing me to Jericho, he said. I'll take myself off and return at eight. There's nothing more calculated to put me in your mother's black books than to arrive an hour early for dinner. Oh, there's not the least need for you to be concerned. I thank you for the compliment of mistaking me for my daughter, but I am Lady Hartwood. She extended a hand to him. How do you do? A flicker of surprise registered in Hugh's eyes. My uncle is most fortunate. Executing a bow over her hand, he added with a grin, I now understand why he developed a sudden sense of familial duty and extended his stay with my Aunt Matilda in Cornwall. As a rule, they fight like cat and dog, so their visits to each other are usually brief and far in between. Yes, Matilda is an acquaintance of mine, said Lady Hartwood, and has often referred to her quarrelsome scoundrel of a brother. But now, of course, I know she must have been funning. Albert is nothing of the sort. Please, she indicated for him to be seated and sat down herself. They do nip at each other, but nothing to signify. You must be able to bring out their best behaviour, ma'am. I hope my uncle recognises his good fortune in having captured your affections. Lady Hartwood blushed and deflected his praise with a few incoherent murmurs. She was rapidly amending her first impression of her guest. Initially, all she had been able to take in was the image of a tall and powerful brute of a man, negligently dressed in the clothes of a gentleman. It must have been the shock of having him arrive unexpectedly that had given her such a fanciful notion, she decided, for after spending a few minutes in his company, it was clear that he was really rather good-natured. It was a shame there was no hint of this in his outward appearance, as people were bound to judge him unfairly. His swarthy countenance held little beauty, and his size could not help but overwhelm. However, she of all people knew the pitfalls of judging on looks alone. Her late husband had been blessed with extraordinary beauty on the outside, and little to speak of on the inside and she had quickly learned that one could not depend on a handsome countenance for one's happiness. Hugh's acquaintances would have been surprised to hear the word good-natured used to describe him, or to see him exert himself in that direction. But it had not taken him long to realise that he was in the presence of a pure soul, and he had set out to banish the doe-like alarm in his hostess's eyes. He was succeeding in his task to such a degree that when he asked whether she had made the acquaintance of her future father-in-law, Lady Hartwood found herself confiding in him. "'I have not as yet been introduced to the Earl of Wolfingston,' she said a little despondently. "'He never responded to Albert's letter informing him of our betrothal, and... and I cannot help but feel that he does not wish to recognise me.' "'I wouldn't let it concern you, ma'am.' As head of the family, the old rascal takes it upon himself to rage and disapprove of us all. It's a habit with him by now, and he enjoys the sport of it so much, it would be cruel to expect him to give it up. Personally, I hold him in great affection and do all I can to set up his back. Lady Hartwood laughed, but shook her head. I cannot believe that course of action is open to me. All at once, the drawing-room door burst open and Miss April Hartwood hurried into the room in a state of considerable disarray. Her dark hair was partly down over her face, a dozen hairpins were jutting out of her mouth and both her hands were busy removing the remaining pins from her coiffure. "'Quick, Mama, you must help me before Rachel sees us,' she said on a laugh, forcing the words out through the pins. She looked surreptitiously behind her and pushed the door shut with her foot." 
Her attempts at dressing my hair are abysmal, she continued, but the poor girl is taking such pains over her new duties, I don't have the heart to criticise her. As she spoke, she ran her fingers through her hair to remove the last of the pins, then tossed back the whole glorious mass until it settled about her head like a dusky halo. Her gaze landed on their guest and she froze. The smile that had been playing about Hugh's lips at the entrance of an unguarded and dishevelled young lady slowly faded. Good God, he thought to himself. He had never before encountered such a face. It really was quite extraordinary. Her eyes alone would have earned her a place amongst the chief beauties of the day. Their colour was an astonishing cerulean blue with a pale green, almost yellow centre, and they were large and so wide-set that they gave her an exotic, otherworldly appearance. Her eyes, however, were not the end of it. The good fairies that had been present at her birth had been most generous. A heart-shaped face, flawless complexion, soaring eyebrows and plump lips, he had the fanciful notion that each item had been drawn by the hand of a master, for not one could be improved upon. Had he been of a disposition to fall in love with such a blatant show of beauty, he would have felt uneasy about the prospect of welcoming her into his family. He could only be thankful that his disposition was otherwise. Surveying her with critical interest, he hoped she would not prove to be too vain and wearisome as past experience had taught him to expect from women of her breed. Rising politely to his feet, he looked over at his hostess and waited for the necessary introductions. April, love, um, let me present you to Mr. Royce, Albert's nephew, of course, said Lady Hartwood agitatedly. Mr. Royce, my daughter, Miss Hartwood, I must beg your pardon, sir, you have had a most abysmal welcome so far. Not at all, he returned, smiling. I can see I have put you out. Besides, we should lay the blame where it is deserved, at my uncle's door. Turning back to Miss Hartwood, he was amused to find her still staring at him. It was rare for a gently bred young lady to regard him so openly. His looks alone were usually enough to subdue them into a submissiveness he found irritating. Yet, Miss Hartwood was not only blatantly surveying him, there was also an admiring quality in her gaze he would have had to be insensate not to respond on it on some level. He smiled. It slowly dawned on April that she was gawking at their guest in a truly improper manner, and what was worse, she was doing so with a dozen hairpins sticking out of her mouth. She quickly whipped them out and hid them in her hand. I apologise for intruding before I was expected, Miss Hartwood, Hugh addressed her in an easy manner. This won him a look of approval from Lady Hartwood who was relieved to see he appeared perfectly capable of retaining his wits when faced with her daughter's beauty. "'We are delighted to welcome you,' replied April, making an effort to smile. "'You are almost family, Mr Royce, and one does not stand on ceremony with family.' She stepped forward and held out her hand, then quickly withdrew it. The hairpins landed softly on the rug by her feet, and the hand was once more extended out to him. Hugh gave no indication of having noticed the small interruption and clasped her hand in his own large one. A sudden jolt of sensation surged through them both and each caught the look of surprise in the other's eyes. Call me Hugh, he said. Thank you, and, and you too, she replied. Amusement crinkled his eyes. I don't believe it would be proper for me to call you Hugh, Miss Hartwood. Oh, I, I did not mean, 
she paused, frustrated by her own gaucheness. I would be pleased if you would call me April. April. He turned the name over on his tongue, not quite ready to let it go. Odd, isn't it? She said. To be named after a month? I suppose I should be thankful Mamma did not take a fancy to December. I like it. It suits you, he replied. April smiled, and this time it was not her society smile that made an appearance, but an entirely natural, spontaneous one that only those close to her knew well. Hugh was unaccountably shaken to see the fierceness of her beauty was softened by the charm of that smile and one endearingly crooked front tooth. It transformed her from a lofty goddess of perfection into a warm and altogether too enticing creature. It was in that moment that he sensed danger. Lady Hartwood watched their exchange with great interest and thought to herself that her betrothed had seriously misled her when he had said his nephew did not possess the type of address that recommended him to the female sex. Evidently, Albert knew nothing about the female sex. She had never before seen her daughter so affected by a man, and it was all she could do to suppress a smile. Clearing her throat delicately, she broke the silence that had engulfed the room. It is a shame your fiancé could not join us this evening, Mr. Royce, she remarked. I hope we will have an opportunity to become acquainted with her shortly. April snatched her hand out of Hugh's grip, where it had inexplicably remained all this time. I shall be certain to introduce Miss Starling to you at the earliest opportunity, replied Hugh. The butler's heavy, shuffling gait was heard out in the corridor, and in the next instant he entered the room and announced Lord Paisley. "'What the devil are you doing here?' boomed his lordship on catching sight of his nephew. "'Don't you know not to intrude on your hostess before the agreed time?' "'Dearest, I forbid you to scold Mr. Royce,' said Lady Hartwood. "'It was your own fault he thought he was expected at seven. "'I don't know why the deuced fellow thought that, "'but if you forbid me to scold, my love, I shall oblige you,' "'he replied, raising her hand to his lips. "'He immediately perceived some tension in her "'and looked up to scan the other occupants of the room. "'His nephew returned his scrutiny with unruffled composure. "'However, April was looking flushed and ill at ease, "'and he wondered as to the cause. "'He would have understood a show of temper from her "'if Hugh had been so mutton-headed "'as to forget his manners over her pretty face, "'but that did not appear to be the case.' "'Good evening, my dear,' he addressed her in his paternal way. "'Have you done something new with your hair? "'I can't profess to be a connoisseur of such things, "'but it looks different to me. "'Most fetching, in fact.' "'April laughed and walked over to plant a fond kiss on his cheek. "'Albert, how can you give me such an absurd compliment? "'I must look a fright. "'Mama, gentlemen, please excuse me while I make myself presentable.' "'Once she had left the room, Lord Paisley looked across at his nephew.' If you've done something to upset her, Hugh, I'll have your hide for it. Really, Albert, he has done no such thing, insisted Lady Hartwood. April simply needed my assistance with her coiffure and was a little disconcerted when she realised Mr. Royce was also in the room. Hugh returned his uncle's critical look with a wry smile and did not defend himself. He was hard-pressed to understand, let alone explain, what had just occurred between April and himself. The girl was ravishing without question, but he had never been even mildly interested in the society beauties that had been thrust his way over the years. And although his fiancée was considered to be a pretty young woman, he had chosen her for her sweet disposition and strict morality, rather than any superficial physical attributes. If anything, April's looks did her a disservice in his eyes. 
so he was damned if he knew why he felt as if fate had just thrown a punch at him. April entered her bedchamber and immediately made her way over to her mirror. It confirmed what she already suspected. Her cheeks were flushed and her hair was in a state of tousled abandon. She looked positively wild. She groaned and, walking over to her dressing table, began to quickly pin up her hair into some semblance of order. What in heaven's name was wrong with her, she wondered. One would have thought she of all people would know better than to be dazzled by physical appearance. What did it matter that the man had such a handsome countenance, or an engaging sparkle in his eyes for that matter, or that he was modelled along Olympian lines and looked as if he could lift her above his head with the greatest of ease? What an utterly stupid attribute to possess after all. It served no practical purpose whatsoever to be able to lift a woman above your head. The image that this absurd scenario conjured up drew a smile from her. You are a silly creature, she told her reflection. He may be the incarnate of some girlish ideal, but that does not excuse your conduct. You are eight and twenty and not some schoolroom miss addicted to novels. And if that salutary note is not enough to subdue you, then the fact that he is an engaged man must do so. After talking to herself in this bracing manner for a few minutes, and resolving to treat Hugh as if he were a cousin she had known from birth, she smoothed out her skirts, unconsciously wetted her lips, and returned downstairs. End of chapter 1